Hey everyone, it's good to be back. I want to begin today by thanking all of you for your patience and for continuing to listen to my podcast. I could say right now that I've been entirely too immersed with my work and performing and Lucha Libre training, but that wouldn't really absolve me of my dereliction in not getting this podcast out. Simply put, I haven't been treating it like it deserves to be. This is a serious creative endeavor, one I take seriously, and one I think is worth doing right. You, the listeners, deserve nothing less. So I just wanted to get that off my chest right away. This episode coming up is one I recorded with my good friend Luke Marshall, a retired Marine and current nursing student who was a co-worker of mine in the security field. We had a conversation in the week or so following the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas high school shooting in February of 2018, and we talked about the nature of an armed society, what that means, and how such a society should respond to such tragedies, which are sadly entirely too common in what's supposed to be the most enlightened time in our history. Consider this a heads up that we'll be covering some fairly heavy stuff. So... Without further ado, please let me introduce my friend Luke with this quote. To err is human, to forgive divine. Neither are Marine Corps policy. You want to fight? We'll give you a fight. Welcome to FightCast. Greetings again, listeners. How are we all doing out there? I am coming to you live uh, from the internet, as, as we usually are. Um, I come to you kind of with a very unique episode. I don't want to say special because that implies a certain uh, celebration, and I don't want to imply that at all. Uh, but it's a... Um, It's a very unique episode that I want to kind of tackle today, a unique topic, and unfortunately one that is very prevalent in uh, in the national zeitgeist at the moment in the United States. So if you're outside of the United States, uh, you may be aware of this kind of topic, but uh, this episode is mainly intended for an audience inside the U.S., just uh, there's going to be some uh, things that may not be quite as accessible uh, from people outside. But anyway... um, we want to keep our place in the world in uh, uh, in mind as well. Uh, so I'm here with a good friend of mine and a colleague that I have worked uh, armed security with. Uh, what we're going to be talking about today is the subject of gun violence in the United States, um, gun control, what that term means, uh, what that entails, uh, and the various feelings that many subsets of the American population have about this uh, incredibly polarizing subject. Um, when we're recording now, uh, we have just recently, uh, in the past couple of weeks, experienced a mass shooting at the Parkland High School, uh, the, the, sorry, the, the Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, uh, Florida. Uh, on uh, February 14th of this year, 17 students lost their lives. Um, it's, a, uh, it's a tragedy no matter how you slice it. That is definitely one thing that everybody in this conversation can agree on. But I wanted to kind of top tackle the subject of what we do now in response and uh, how we can go forward and how we can have a meaningful conversation about this subject without just shouting at each other. So in the interest of bringing on, uh, in, in the interest of having a constructive conversation as best that we possibly can in absolute respect, 
Um, I have brought on my good friend Luke Marshall. Say hello, Luke. How's it going? All right, uh, Luke, uh, you are a former sergeant of the uh, United States Marine Corps as well as a uh, co-worker in the security company that we both worked at in Minnesota. Uh, we've worked together on the same account for uh, – it was a good couple of months, I think, if I recall. Oh, yeah, like uh, four, five, six, something like that? Yeah, something like that. We we passed many board hours together. I think we can <laughs> we can uh, we can definitely yes. agree on that. Uh, so, but we uh, our our job was to act as armed uh, security guards uh, and as a threat response to the account that we were serving. Is that an accurate uh, estimation of what we were doing? Yeah, I would agree with that entirely. Excellent, excellent. Just wanted to make sure that you know we got all our terms correctly uh, going up. Um, Going the into best this. way I think to think of. Exactly. So how this uh, how this conversation kind of came out, um, and the reason why we uh, I wanted to talk to you about this subject is kind of I know that we've both been in our respective spheres of friends and acquaintances on Facebook. Uh, we've both been having kind of uh, contentious, uh, <laughs> almost conversations. I want to say they're they're conversations, <laughs> but they're 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 almost conversations on this subject. I think and they I became that, conversations. Yes. Yes. Good. The end of them. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad that the, you know um, some headway was made uh, on those. But we both had our respective, I guess you can say, frustrating moments with regards to uh, just trying to talk about this topic about um, about the prevalence of guns in the United States, about uh, what the Second Amendment means in the 21st century. It's it, it's a topic that people are. It's it's so difficult to talk about. Really, and and it's not necessarily a right-left thing either. I mean, that plays into it for sure. But even amongst people on the right and on the left, you know, within our own cliques, I guess you could say, um, it's 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 a very difficult subject to talk about because many people's feelings get wrapped up into it. Uh, people's uh, you know people have very uh, entrenched causes with regards to these things on both sides of the issue. Um, and that's the thing. Maybe both sides is a misnomer. I, it's it's a very multifaceted and just it's a Gordian knot of a problem. I think that we can both agree about that too. Absolutely, and it's uh it's one of those things. Both sides come at it from different ways. You've got uh, a very far right side who comes at it very statistically, very uh, I'm not, I'm not going to say logically, but very methodically in what they believe will work and what inspires them to try to change law. And then you have the far left who are very driven by feeling. And that's not a put down at all. You should be emotional about people being shot at. Mm -hmm. I am. But uh, yeah, I, I guess think it's that if you weren't, if, if into... you weren't, you're just not a functional human being. You know, yeah, if you don't have feelings about uh, the loss of life at all. If you don't have basic respect for human life, I'd Less than human, and that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, I think it's fair to categorize ourselves. I, I know that we come from different places politically. I would most readily describe myself as a liberal. Uh, leftist is a – leftist is something of a contentious term. I don't know if that is the right you know, label for me. I don't know if labels are – uh, the most constructive thing, but we need to know exactly. We we need to at least have some estimation of where we're coming from. So I, I I would say that I would most most readily say that I occupy the left end of the spectrum. Um, I am 
not a uh, I'm not a proponent of complete disarmament. I, I would say that if you if that is what entails a Second Amendment supporter, then you can call me a Second Amendment supporter. But we're gonna try <laughs> we're gonna try and get into exactly what that means. But oh, without getting into specifics you don't want to get into, where would you say that you uh, you yourself fall on that kind of spectrum, roughly? Honestly, as long as I'm, I mean, I introduced the left right into this conversation, and just as a measurement of measuring out where you are on the spectrum, not as something I truly believe in. I would say I'm just right of middle. Okay. So I have some, I have some very, I guess you could call conservative, uh, beliefs. Okay. But more than not, I prefer to let, uh, people handle themselves. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I totally understand, man. So seeing as the, um, as the Parkland, Florida, uh, massacre was sort of the impetus for this, at least this iteration of the conversation. Many people have engaged in similar things, but in this particular go-around, I suppose, uh, it's inspired by the Parkland Massacre, uh, and I suppose that a good question to lead off with would be, what was your what was your sort of reaction when you heard that kind of news? Just absolute horror and disbelief. Probably not as much as I would like to give myself because we've seen this happen so many times, unfortunately, to our dismay. So while it is nothing, unfortunately, new, it's – if you don't don't feel something, you're not human. And I definitely felt something and I felt such sorrow for what was happening. And those poor – God, those poor people, those poor families. Mm Mm-hmm. Would you would you say that? Um, I, I mean, as we found out about the about the shooter, would you say that uh, um, we were a little quick as a culture to kind of jump immediately into okay, this is what the cause was? Because I know that it began very fast. If I recall, um, when I heard about it, I I, I remember immediately thinking, uh, and this is. This is a bit of a confession, I guess, listeners and, and you, Luke. You know, I, I, th- one of my first thoughts when I saw that is, you know, oh no, not again. You know, it's like, haven't we been here before? Haven't we? It's, it's, it's. I don't want to watch this terrible movie again. Like, and and movie. I don't mean to sound flippant when I say that, but you know, do do, do we need to see this? Not just the the horror of the event itself, but in the way that we react to it. Do we need to play out the same broken record again? You know, and unfortunately, I, f- I feel like I saw that. Um, at least from my perspective, I saw immediately. Um, I saw immediately people assigning blame. I feel like that the the first step that people immediately get once they get over the horror of the event itself, I feel like blame immediately must be set, no matter which end of the spectrum that you fall on. And was it alarming to you? how fast that ends up happening? Or is it just, I mean, I understand the response a little bit on a human level, but, I mean, uh, what what did you see, I guess, from your end in, this, in, in, the, in the spheres of influence you run in? Well, in the, in the uh, as you say, spheres of influence that I run into, there was uh, almost an immediate grouping of people talking about how, well, this is, this is going to do it. This is what's going to be the spearhead for... The next month on firearm control, mm-hmm. and uh, and that, that that was the first reaction is that this is this is this is the assault on firearms all over again. I should I should not say the the absolute first reaction. The first reaction okay. is 
very similar to what you described. Oh, yeah. Is yeah. yeah, is like I said, we've we have seen this horribly. We've seen this movie, and I don't I don't think that's a flippant term, David. And I would say that anybody who would call you flippant on this discussion at all clearly doesn't know you. You're <laughs> one of the best men that I have ever met, despite okay. despite our very wildly set apart viewpoints on things. Thank and I'm you, glad man. to have you as a that. person in my in my sphere of influence. But as I was saying, uh it's one of those it's one of those things. Uh people like to use these things to get rid of things they don't like. And I hate to see it politicized, but it always does seem to get politicized. I see. I mean politicized is an interesting word because if we want any kind of meaningful change on this, if we want to see mass losses of life, you know, these senseless acts of violence, um, if we want to see these at least curtailed, you know, I mean, stopped would be great. That's the platonic ideal, right, is that we want to see a, a peaceful world. All of us do, I think. Um, but do we do, – do we think that – I'm sorry. I was uh, I, I lost my train of thought there. Um, do, do if we want to see acts of violence like this curtailed, do you think that you know any meaningful change is going to come outside of politics? I mean, at, at some point, does it not become a little bit necessary to, as you say, politicize it if we are going to try and address it as a society? You know, I would agree with that, and I would also agree that I probably misspoken wasn't very clear about what i meant by politicizing yeah uh what i what i was referring to is the politicizing of attacks on firearms done by uh and be trying to be put into bill at this moment um no no true change is going to occur with this unfortunately until we get some serious steps involved but we have to make sure that they're the right steps and that we're not just making fear-based decisions okay Based only on half knowledge, half truth, and expecting full results. I I, I, I completely agree. I don't think that there's anything that is going to happen that is going to be a silver bullet to this. I, God, what a, a completely non-appropriate term to use. I just uh, as soon as it came out of my mouth, I understood it. But like, I don't <laughs> think there's going to be one, you know, magic. There's not going to be a magic pill. There's not going to be a magic pill um, going into it. But I think that just as just in the interest of Making sure that we know what our ter- what terms we're talking about the the thing that allows us to carry weapons and to own private uh, um, collections of weapons in the United States is the Second Amendment to the Constitution, introduced as one of the first ten uh, amendments to the Constitution, known as the Bill of Rights. And I think that it's it, it bears repeating in its original wording uh, up top. So the Second Amendment goes uh, quote a well regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, end quote. So one thing that uh, occurs to me when I read that in the 21st century from my, you know, uh, historical hindsight that I'm working at here is um, there are some things in there that are not very well defined. what does the words well-regulated mean? What does the word militia mean? What do the word arms mean? Um, and what does infringed mean? What 
the what plagues this debate time and again is that when we're talking at least about the constitutional the constitutionality of owning weapons there's a lack of definition of terms as you can see the the founders were not specific on what kind of arms are we allowed what does uh, what is a militia supposed to serve in the function of the state as they envisioned it? And how do we carry that forward as we progress by the centuries as a country? You know, so I guess what, 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 what's your reaction to that? What, what, is, what, what do you believe those terms are referring to in the Second Amendment? Well, in my own circles, I have, I'll admit, I have a bit of an unpopular opinion sometimes. Mm-hmm. I believe that this refers to a state's ability to maintain freedom from tyranny. Okay. As a state, as a state government. Okay. Representing the people within that state. Okay. I believe that it was written as a means of making sure that taxation without representation and all these other things that prompted the original revolution mm-hmm. would not come to pass in this brand new country that our founding fathers were creating. Okay. I do not believe that the individual citizen is capable of banding together with other individual citizens and fighting back against the government in the sense that a lot of people sometimes on my side mm-hmm. take this as. I do believe that this in this uh, well-regulated militia sounds a lot like a National Guard to me, which okay. is uh, made to serve the state originally. The, the state with a capital S, you know, we're not talking yes. about each individual state. I mean that that the way that you described it is kind of with the individual states as well, because you have the military at the federal level, and you have uh, different national guards that operate at the state level. Yes, I would agree with that. I believe state, as in like the state of Minnesota, okay, being able to resist tyranny if all else fails has the ability to resist said tyranny at any level okay. especially since our national guards uh report pretty much to the governor and no one else i see so so, so in that case then militia to you means uh exactly what you described something that is operated by a state government not just a collection uh, a cabal of a bunch of guys who meet on every other weekend and uh, hit the range and call it good, you know. We're we're not talking about that, and it's 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 very reassuring to know that uh, you kind of share my wariness of anybody who calls themselves a militia group. Because let's be fair, any group that is described as a quote unquote militia group does not inspire a great level of confidence or uh, reassurance. No, especially with what they think they're going to accomplish with that. Now, while I think that. An average group of citizens in this last-ditch scenario where the state militia, National Guard in my opinion, is resisting tyranny of the rest of the country, I believe that that individual group of people have a part of that outside of the National Guard in resisting that said tyranny. Okay. But not as the sole means of defense against that. It's not realistic to expect a bunch of people with access to civilian-level firearms – to resist, in this case, an entire country yeah. with country-level military, especially our country's level military, yeah, trying to overthrow them. It's not realistic. No, it's not. And uh, it just it just makes me chuckle every time I hear about uh, 
this militia group or that militia group, all of whom seem to have at least a hop, skip, and a jump away from uh, some kind of white supremacist angle, which is interesting in and of itself. But, um, you know, it, it, it's interesting to hear the, the rhetoric going on, and I'm thinking, are you seriously thinking that with enough AR-15s, you can somehow repel drones and predator missiles, and I'm sorry, like predator drones and Hellfire missiles. Like, are you, are you, uh, are you delusional? Like, are are you aware of the kind of? Uh, have you watched the History Channel <laughs> even a single day? Even the even the pale shadow of the History Channel that exists now. It's just it it, it is ludicrous to me that um that is the leg that some people stand on. So it it brings me great joy to know that you have a uh, um an enlightened perspective on that. Um, it's it's interesting once again looking back at the Second Amendment though that uh. That seems to be what it's referring to, a well-regulated militia. We're not talking about um, – it, it doesn't mention uh, the citizen's right to self-defense. It doesn't mention a citizen's right to home defense. It doesn't mention um, a, a lot of other factors where uh, people might be uh, inspired, at the very least, to arm themselves. So w we have to very much play a guessing game or at least try and you know read the minds of long-dead people when we're trying to figure out what they meant with regards to all these specific situations. And I think we can agree as well that the Founding Fathers, their, their foresight could only really go so far. I think there are many things that have happened in American history that would not have ever occurred as possible to people of the 1700s. I would absolutely agree. I do not believe that they could look forward to a time and see drone warfare and say, yes, that's right. Every American should have access to missile-dropping drones. Yeah, exactly. That would be just – any reasonable – anybody with two brain cells to rub together will understand that that even do, doesn't even pass muster as a hypothetical. It's just, it, it, it's just ludicrous out of hand. And so we have, to, we have to kind of look at where we're at in terms of how the United States has progressed since then – and what decisions have been made on the subject of firearms since then? Because the Second Amendment, uh, for, it, for for all that it does us, for all that it grants us in terms of the, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Once again, what does people mean? You know, um, it, 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 it has not left us very much to go on. So I, I suppose the... If we're talking about the debate as it's going on right now, we're not talking about the, uh, you know, the motivations necessarily that people have towards violence, but we are very heavily talking about the weapons themselves. Is that a misappropriation of attention, in your personal opinion, or uh, is or do the weapons themselves deserve at least? Uh, are they at least part of the conversation? Well, first, I'd like to add a little bit on to my previous statement, oh, yeah, where yeah. I do believe that uh, firearms are uh, an American's um, right, and they do have the right to defend themselves with firearms, mostly because not every single American can be 190 pounds of pure muscle yeah. with martial arts skills. Yeah, way, now, way, way, to, way to brag, man. <laughs> oh, I wasn't talking about me. I was talking about you. <laughs> You still, you think I'm still 190 pounds? That is, that is precious. I'll, I'll think, I'll think better of you till I'm proven otherwise. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's probably best. No, but you can't expect a, um, heck, you can't expect any average female or 
some average men in that in that respect to be able to defend themselves against assault on their person mm-hmm. without access to a, a good tool, which I would bleed into that the tools do have to be part of the conversation. Yeah. They have to be because they are the ones being used. Mm-hmm. That being said, there's an underlying problem here, and yeah. the problem itself is not the tools being used because if it wasn't store-bought firearms, it would be street-bought firearms. If it wasn't street-bought firearms, it would be rice cooker bombs, which are – you can make those easy. You can go to Home Depot and get the materials to make a shotgun for 20 bucks if you know what you're doing. And unfortunately or fortunately, the Internet is a wild and wonderful place that is more than happy to show you how to do most anything. I see. I see see what you're saying. So, but you apply the Second Amendment to the average citizen then. It's not just the members of the quote-unquote well-regulated militia, whatever that means. It's not just the members of that that are given the right to bear arms. And so you you take the people, when the Second Amendment is referring to the right of the people to keep and bear arms, you're referring to those as just any American citizen. Any American citizen, yes. I do believe we need to temper that with some common sense as to clearly we're not going to let someone with 16 murder charges buy a firearm. Okay, but yeah, that would that, that <laughs> kind of goes without saying, yeah. It goes without saying, but I believe that a lot of why we're struggling with this is a lot of people, you know, mm-hmm. farther down the timeline than us thought things would go without saying too, so it's important to say things. So it, it my, uh, what, what the question that immediately comes to my mind is then where I suppose – and I'm not saying that you have to draw one specific line here, but what kind of criteria would you include in some kind of determination that this citizen, this one right here, should probably not own, uh, should not have access to firearms? Like, um, what what would those criteria be for you? Well, I would say clear uh, criminal record. Something we already do. Okay, uh, but, but, but what, what does what does criminal record mean? Does criminal record mean any criminal conviction, or does criminal record mean only violent crime? I suppose that yeah, it's a fair point to clarify. I would go violence, threat of violence, and restraining orders. Okay. If and in, I would include intimidation charges in on that. I would say okay. that if you have at any point without a firearm tried to force somebody to do something for you, no matter what it is, through an any, idea any or concept of force. Yeah. Like, if you're going to threaten somebody when you don't have a firearm, I don't feel comfortable you having a firearm. Okay. Yeah, okay. That, 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 very reasonable to me. Um, and, and I ask this because that there are some states right now where it's, it's both legal to obtain a firearm, but it's also legal to uh, consume recreational cannabis. And there are some places that, for instance, say if you – you know, if you have any kind of like, say, a cannabis possession conviction, uh, you know, um, or or charge, or uh, I think it's conviction actually, um, or even if you have a medical cannabis authorization, then you don't have the right to, to to bear arms. Is that is that fair in your estimation? I think that it's not fair. I don't okay. I don't believe that. I would put that on the same level as a speeding ticket affecting okay. your ability to own a firearm. Okay, that, so, so that, that would be an I would say I would like to say, though, however, that when you get a permit to carry, you are making a um, – you're making an agreement with the issuing government that okay. 
you will respect and follow all the laws it has set forward. Because if they can't trust you to follow small laws, how can they trust you to follow big laws? Regardless of how I believe of those laws, that's true. That, 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 rational does, that rational does make absolute sense. I, I do want to just remind everybody that, like, um, we're, we're not necessarily talking about concealed carry, though. We're talking about just gun ownership in general. Uh, with regards to this, I mean, uh, concealed carry is almost its own complete separate can of worms. That the specifics, uh, uh, sorry, the specifics of how. Uh, we should or should not carry and where we should be allowed to carry and what we should be allowed to carry is is almost an entirely separate conversation. I can agree to that. We can keep this, okay. we can keep this simple. Cool, That's, cool. Uh, that yeah. is a whole other thing because then you get into per- permits to purchase and yeah. then that becomes like a state-by-state state basis. Uh, yeah, so, a- a- absolutely. Yeah, as much as I would love to delve into that, I don't know if necessarily <laughs> we have the time. We don't have time. <laughs> so um, going back to g- going back to the recent tragedy – uh, we have seen a lot of the same kind of tropes play out. We have uh, different politicians weighing in with different uh, slogans and talking points, and uh, the president seems to be in favor of arming teachers, although I'd like to get to that in just a little bit. Um, I think that the – I'd like to talk about the concept of the good guy with a gun for a second. Uh, because that seems to be a recurring meme within this debate. Now, w- when somebody says that a, the only way to stop a good guy with a gun is a bad guy with a gun, A, do you agree with that statement? If so, how? Depends on the good guy. Thank you. Thank you very much. Because <laughs> you can be as good as you want with all the right intentions that you want, and you can wind up just like that deputy. Yeah. Mm. The, the, which, which deputy are you referring to, actually? There, there, there could be I'm referring a few to people. the uh, – in this in the school shooting you referred to, there was a deputy who stayed outside of the school, did not go inside, even after hearing gunfire. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Now, I don't know what he was going through his head, but I can tell you that myself, several other people, and quite a bit of our professional community just let that guy have it. He is – Unworthy of anything other than complete disregard. Well, when it is your job description to respond and you don't respond, th- yeah, that's, especially that's pretty clear. To that, especially to that, like yeah. there is, there are, there is, there is something I would like to say in that it is a, it is a hard decision tactically when you have to insert yourself into a shooting. It's easier if you're already there and you're able to fight out or from a defendable position, it is extremely difficult to go into it, especially alone. That being said, those are kids. Yeah. You not only have a job, you have a moral responsibility to stop that. I don't care what it costs you. I don't care what it costs me. I would I would agree with that. I, I think that there was that there was that there was a moral imperative there to act and, and to do something. And and to be fair, I don't know what other actions that uh, that deputy did take. And uh, I have also heard reports that there were multiple uh, deputies on the scene or that yeah, there were multiple officers like on the scene that did not respond. Uh, and that's just – it, it strikes you and me as wrong, I think, for, uh, for, for the right reason, I'd say. Now, the thing is that when you and I were acting as armed security for the account that we were working at at the time, um, we were the designated good guys with guns. We were we were there. Everybody uh, on the staff knew us. They knew 
we were carrying. They knew that we were trained in the response uh, that we were expected to give in a situation where, for instance, an active shooter was happening. Now, do you think that such a role can be filled by the average person who suddenly finds themselves in that situation? Say, for instance, I mean, if I'm if I'm not working, if I'm out and uh, say after work, or for instance, where I'm I'm shifting now to a completely different mental posture, uh, I may still be armed. Uh, there have been many times where I have not um, I have not disarmed myself until I've gotten back home. You know, um, because for all I know, that the at whatever account that I was working at, somebody might have decided they didn't like me, and they might have decided to try uh, some kind of violent action on me by tailing me, or, or 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 any number of possibilities. But like, say for instance, and this is a hypothetical, that uh, I'm I'm after work, and in a place of uh, where I I wouldn't expect violence to occur. Um, in this case, I don't believe I would carry onto onto any school grounds. That is clearly illegal and is dem and is in no uncertain terms designated as such when we have our concealed carry classes. Sure. But for instance, say um, uh, I, I'm stopping to deposit my check at the bank, or I'm stopping to uh, um, enjoy uh, a couple of seconds on a park bench, or any number of things where I'm just out in public and shooting happens. You know. Um, I'm not talking about any kind of motivations that, that whatever this hypothetical shooter has, but shooting happens, and I see people falling around me, and, 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 and all of a sudden chaos erupts. Do you trust me, even with my level of training, which does not approach yours, but do you trust me in that sense, even as somebody who has worked that uh, armed security role, to suddenly shift back into the mental posture that I'm at when I'm working and respond effectively? Is that something that you feel like is a possible, and b can we rely on it? I would say that there are two answers to that. One, speaking of you, David, in my opinion of you, I, I absolutely do trust you. If you were carrying, I would feel safe walking next to you, not carrying. And I would say that of the average person who does not receive more than your normal. Um, amount of training who does that yeah absolutely and, and and i don't mean to interrupt you too much but when, when you're no, talking when, when you're talking about level of training at least uh in the state of minnesota which is where i uh and you and i both obtained our concealed carry permits um the uh, y you have to attend a class that is um it, it's required by law that you must attend a class where the responsible use of firearms is uh explained in great detail for three hours i believe Oh, I don't know how long your class was, but mine was very long. And then demonstrate a basic proficiency with the firearm, and at least in my case, we had to be able to demonstrate that we could fire it from a, um, a grip with both hands, a grip with the right hand, and a grip with the left hand, and at least land um, a certain number of shots on the paper. I, I think that that was the – I could be wrong, but I, 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 if I recall correctly, that was the requirement, um, at least for the class that I took. Is that a sufficient uh, – is, is, sorry, I can get back to – I can ask you whether it's sufficient later, but uh, j just to elucidate what you're talking about, that's at least the requirement by the state of Minnesota. You know, I hate to say this, but that's not even the requirement by the state of Minnesota. The state of Minnesota only requires that you have in-class uh, activities of four hours or less if you include range time. And there are people who can be – who can issue – 
permits to carries, and they there is no actual target requirement for I the see. state of Minnesota. So, uh, okay. so yours did actually above and beyond. I see. Props to him. Well, yeah, it was um, it, it was it was a great class. I'll, I'll tell you what, but um, the the, the guy's talking all about like it, this. When you get your card, it doesn't come with John Wayne stars on it. Just want everybody to know that. It doesn't come with this license to be a badass. It doesn't come with the ability to be a hero. And I'm very, Absolutely. very happy that there is a, uh, you know, a, a, an amount of real, realism that's injected into that. But that, so, so so what you're saying is that, like, that I, I received the above average level of training that's necessary for a concealed carry. You absolutely did. Okay. And I totally agree with that description of no John Wayne stars. As someone who owns a firearm, it is not your job to be a police officer. It is not your job to rush boldly into things. Like, I would – yeah, no, it's – not only would that be a bad idea for most people at the level of training that they are running into it with a false sense of security, but you're adding – you're adding – an ill-trained, unknown gunman into the situation who, quite possibly, in the stress, will miss and hit innocent targets. That that that, that is that's the thing that's on my mind. Anytime that anybody brings up the the good guy with a gun phenomenon, and uh, unfortunately, I don't have the data that in, in front of me that uh, would tell me how many percentages of uh, incidents where there's been a shooting and a good guy with a gun has been present. And, uh, you know, violence was, uh, you know, averted or mitigated even. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, we do not have a lot of statistics on gun violence because the CDC is not allowed to gather statistics on gun violence. But um, I I would I I will get to that probably in a little bit here. But this this good guy with a gun idea, um, when politicians are talking about this, I don't know if they have the level of respect for the situation and the potential for disaster that you and I are exhibiting right now, because, for instance, um, a, a a terrible tragedy that occurred a couple of years ago was the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando, Florida, and I remember very distinctly when people were talking about that that um, if only a couple of the club goers had been carrying at the time, then perhaps this shooter may have been stopped in his tracks. Uh, did, is that a realistic idea that that could have happened even? I mean, you're talking about a crowded nightclub, music going off, lights, you know, it's dark, but there's a lot of chaotic lighting all over the place. The kind of place that people would love to go to have some drinks and have fun. Not the place you want to be when you know, violence strikes, obviously. But do, do you trust the average Joe to, to react in a you know, in a beneficial manner or in that circumstance, isn't, I guess, what, I, what I'm trying to get at is, isn't the presence of more guns in that situation more of a hazard as opposed to less of one? Taking into the taking into account the very base amount of requirements, so for assuming that the average person only has the very basics of what is required by a state in order to carry a gun, I absolutely do not. Mm-hmm. There is not nearly enough... In fact, there is almost none on stressful situations. Also something that people don't like to talk about or just don't talk about is how quiet a handgun really is. Really? Especially in a, in a, in a setting like that, you're going to get off at least five, six shots before people even realize shooting's going on, and that's when they start seeing the bodies. If the music is loud, yes. And uh, you get one person who has a gun, realizes that there's shooting going on, without thinking, draws their gun, Another shooter, another 
carrier who's nearby sees a guy pull out a gun, yep. instantly t- marks him as a threat. Next thing you know, you got five, six people shooting at each other. Nobody knows what's going on. Absolutely. There needs to be – if we're going to if we're gonna say that that's a solution, there needs to be training, mindset training, physical training on target identification, threat recognition, a whole slew of things that we just do not do. And, and that's true, and I think that, A, uh, I, I know that many regulations exi- exist about where you're allowed to carry a handgun, and I think that in any place that where alcohol is readily available, often there are restrictions on that. Um, so even if, even if many of the people who were inside the Pulse nightclub were, um, you know, uh, avid gun owners and gun users, they might not have uh, felt like they were... Uh, okay to carry in that situation and honestly I kind of understand that I kind of accept that now every situation is different every one of these tragedies has been different whether we're talking about Columbine or whether we're talking about Sandy Hook or Aurora or Pulse or Vegas or Parkland each one of those situations were completely um, unique uh, and having factors unique unto themselves now the I guess the, the the question I have is that is there a, is is there a cut and dry solution as as with regards to whether people in in possession of firearms and training even uh, whether they can be effective? I would say that people, the average citizen with a firearm can be effective in the prevention of crime and loss of life because we do see it. I'm actually, I, the bit of research that I did on this, okay. I came across, um, a series by the Washington post covering a bunch of concealed carry, uh, stories who had prevented public shootings, mass shootings. And in most of them, the carrier did not even need to discharge his firearm. The presence of it alone was enough to 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 stop it from happening. Okay. okay. So, in in this case, you're saying that the the, the idea that uh, the presence of another firearm immediately escalates the situation is not always accurate. It's definitely a case by case basis, and okay. it depends on who you are as the carrier, and it depends on who you're dealing with when referring to the shooter. Okay. Now, there are, there are just too many, there are just way too many, you know, things that can happen for anyone to give anybody a cut and dry answer. Sorry to, sorry to kind of talk over you right there. No, 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 you're, you're you're completely fine. And the, the frustration I think that both of us might be having with this is the, is the lack of any aggregate data about how, (laughs) about how it, uh, on the whole, whether, whether it is effective or, or not effective. And, um, again, I just want to, uh, I'll get to that in a second here, but um, what I want to kind of shift gears here to uh, for a moment here is a big part of the conversation right now, which is the weapon itself that is used in many of these uh, mass shootings, which is a variant on the AR-15 rifle. Um, the AR-15 was developed by Armalite in regards to uh, – in I think it was originally designed – and used to guard uh, stateside Air Force bases 
but uh, it won the contract. I think Armalite won the contract to supply the army uh, or the the armed forces' new battle rifle. Am, am, I, am I accurate in that history? Um, you know, I will have to research into how the Armalite one came about. The one that I am aware of is the Stoners 15 variant. Eugene Stoner. Which Eugene Stoner developed the uh, created the rifle, and I believe. My research indicates that it was watered down into a civilian legal version. I would have to do more research on I that. See. I'm not so, afraid to admit. I would need more research. Because because it's in very it's very important that we know exactly what we're talking about and that our listeners know have the accurate information as to what is available in the civilian market in the United States and what is purely a military rifle. So when we're talking about an AR-15, what we're talking about is a semi-automatic, uh, um, uh, civilian available version of the uh, what, what's known in the military as the M16 or its carbine variant, the M4, which is a select fire weapon, which is uh, a weapon that can fire either semi-automatic or in three-round bursts. I, is that accurate, or are the uh, or are the current uh, battle rifles in the military are they uh, accessible as fully automatic as well? Uh, not the standard issue to your everyday infantrymen. They are not. There are. Um, other weapons that are fully automatic, such as the uh, SAW and the 240 Bravo, but the M16 M4s are not fully automatic anymore. Okay. They're but, just on three-round bursts. So, uh, okay, so so that is the military version, and the civilian version that's available uh, in, in the United States is purely only semi-automatic. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. One trigger pull, one bullet. Okay, cool. So, I because I, I know that you mentioned before we started uh, uh, going here uh, with the uh, – uh, many people are not using nearly the right nomenclature when they're talking about firearms, and I think that many people are uh, under the impression that fully automatic weapons are available in the United States, and uh, they have not been for some time. They have not been. If you want to shoot one or if you see somebody shooting one in a video, most all the time they have gone to a range that allows you to rent them for a very expensive cost well, yeah. and shoot them. And I'll tell you... A full magazine, a full auto lasts about two seconds. Yes. It's not worth the money to rent. Yeah, yes. Um, uh, that, that, all the same, maybe one of these days. That's just <laughs> one thing on the bucket list. Anyway, but um, <laughs> just uh, – so what we're talking about then with regards to these uh, mass shooters who have used this weapon, and to be fair, uh, not all of the uh, – uh, really famous cases that we're talking about have used them. Uh, Columbine, the uh, the AR-15 was not present. Uh, Sandy Hook, it was. Uh, when we're talking about uh, Aurora, it this uh, it was as well in uh, the case of Aurora, unless I'm mistaken. Uh, it was present at Pulse. It was present at the Las Vegas shooting um, of 2017, and it was present at Parkland. So when when the average person has the ability to, uh, with fairly few restrictions, buy a semi-automatic uh, rifle in a military caliber because people can even even stateside in the even here in the United States people can buy these weapons uh, chambered in 5.56 NATO, which is the same round that is fired in a military setting. Now, does this strike you as? Constructive, I guess. I because I'm starting to have my doubts. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I, I'm starting to have my doubts as to whether the public at large can handle 
their available the, the accessibility of these weapons. I, I, just what what are, what are your thoughts on that right now? Well, I've got kind of a mixed feelings about one. I will tell you, I do own one. Okay. Um, it isn't five five six. That's more so the fact so I can shoot two twenty three and five five six. Now two two three is just two two three is just a lower pressure variant of the five five six, if I recall. That Otherwise, it's the exact same. So, exact so, same thing. So the what you're saying is, is that with five five six, you get a higher muzzle velocity. Yes, that is correct. Okay. And if you have a if you have an AR in five five six, you can shoot two twenty three out of it. If you get a AR in two twenty three, you cannot shoot five five six out of it because okay. it'll cause your gun to explode. Okay, good to know. Or critically fail, one of the two. <laughs> critically fail, one of those is a very clinical term, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'm kind of at, so I'm coming at an impasse. I very, I'm prior military. I very much enjoy shooting the gun. Mm-hmm. I very much comp- like competing in the uh, rifle sports that it allows me to compete in. It has, it has a niche in the hunting community, despite what people say, because it's a very good caliber for uh, varmint hunting, yep. coyotes, um, that that little uh, kind of medium to small game niche gets filled very nicely by it. It's also effective over longer ranges than say your uh, than you say your sta- uh, standard uh, like twenty two or uh, any other kind of like carbine round, right? I would agree with that. Um, I mean, it, it is a rifle round. So it does have its effective ranges. Okay. Uh, I myself can accurately go out to about 500 meters with it. Yeah. That's sometimes a little more if I'm in a sable-prone position. But okay. if you're just talking unbraced, normal position, you're looking at 100 meters, which is good. Yeah. Good enough, I guess. Absolutely. So, so, so you're so the the, the main. The, the main utility that you have for that weapon is mainly just uh, competition uh, and uh, I guess your your own uh, just uh, to develop to keep your skills and marksmanship at the range I guess that we can call training and marksmanship an art in and of itself I think that's that's fairly fair to say uh, so but but you you don't plan on using that for anything else do you I plan on using it for, like I said, the, the medium to small game hunting. But okay. if you're asking me if I plan on using it to overthrow the government, no, I'm not. <laughs> okay. Uh, do, would you would you consider the AR-15 an effective weapon for home defense? Huh. I have a. I'm of two minds of that. Okay. One, it's a very effective home defense round. It'll it will work. It'll do the job. And it's got an amazingly effective intimidation factor that you can't match with your handgun. So mm-hmm. if you bust out an AR-15 in your home defense, odds are you don't have to shoot at all. Mm-hmm. It's it it. I mean, a lot. I hear a lot of people saying it's scary. I mean, it's it's a firearm. It's it is scary if you don't know what you're doing. It and, is and scary. And, if you're on the, the other end of it. They're kind the, of the supposed profile, to be that way. The 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 profile of the weapon itself. Uh, has it strikes a certain register when we see one, doesn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. I, mean, I mean, that's why a lot of people buy one in the first place is into is uh, as a deterrent. Yeah, as a deterrent or as imitation of something. Okay. A lot of people. I mean, it's a popular it's a popular rifle for a lot okay. of reasons. Well, because I I ask you because I'm starting to wonder if there isn't room 
if if it might not be time to possibly start placing some restrictions on that particular caliber, again, pardon the uh, pardon the pun of of weapons, because when we we talk about other countries, and uh, one 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 example that comes up often is Switzerland, and that Switzerland you can you can own military style battle rifles. Yeah, I think citizens eighteen plus can own. Uh, very effective military-style hardware, but the catch is that they can only store that weapon or they can only store the ammunition um, at the designated range where they go and shoot. Now, what I'm trying to, I guess, ask then is, is are we not perhaps allowing ourselves just a bit too much capacity for destruction when we allow the AR-15 to fall into... Uh, most anybody's hands with less paperwork than it takes to buy a, 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 a scooter. Well, first I'd like to address the Switzerland point, which is a very – and it is a very accurate point. You presented it very well. One thing uh, that is there is that mandatory military service is required that is true. for almost every citizen of Switzerland. And so, yes, they have military-grade weaponry, but they also have – military grade training mm -hmm. and respect for the weapon. Okay. So, which is which is something that you don't get stateside with every single firearm owner. And as to your second point, I'm sorry, could you I got I got a little hung up on the Switzerland thing. The second point was I I I, I what I'm asking I guess is that um, when we're talking about something that is military it was intended as military hardware such as the AR15 does that not – that increased capacity for destruction, does that not come with it a heightened level of responsibility? And with that heightened level of responsibility, should there not, I think, come a certain greater level of either difficulty to obtain it or simply the more hoops to jump through to prove that you can handle such a weapon? Yeah, okay. I remember what I was going to say to that now. If Yeah, if you were asking me about – gun control as it relates to regulating the features of the weapon, I dis I would disagree almost entirely across the board. Okay. I, in that, you know, making a magazine capacity for this weapon is not efficient. Making a, uh, making a system where the gun has to be taken apart to remove the magazine, that's not practical to expect to happen because there are loopholes around that and there are loopholes around that that have been implemented. If you're asking if gun control should be implemented and who can buy it, I agree with you that that needs to happen and that needs to be a little more stricter. I mean, mm -hmm. we have this shooter from the Florida school system who uh, is able to buy this at the age of 18. After which exhibiting multiple warning signs, by the way. I, I, this, uh, bear, this bears saying that this person had been documented months prior, possibly years prior, as being an unbalanced individual who had made threatening behavior, who had posted questionable content to uh, to his social media, that, that the, the warning signs were there. As a matter of fact, the FBI was watching him, uh, but he was still able to obtain, a, uh, to, to obtain this weapon. Uh, d does that not strike to you as a failure at some point in that system? Should that be allowed to happen? I haven't heard on my end at this point whether he had obtained the firearm prior or post these things or if he had inherited it from his father or whatever. I would say that, one, the age is way too young to have this. If you're that age, you know, hunting weapons at the most, bolt action, 
I, and I will say that it's a completely different topic of the FBI's complete and utter inaction on this is just horrific to me. And until we get that figured out, everything else should be yes, put to the yes. side. Uh, so somebody, somebody absolutely made a mistake there. I think we can say that. Now, and I also believe that if you're going to own weaponry of this nature, that you should accept that there needs to be a regulation to it. I mean, you can... Everybody can scream and yell about their rights, and this is another point where I draw a lot of flack from my side of the argument, is nobody wants to be regulated, and they think regulating by the government is a bad idea. And I'm over here saying, if you are going to have a weapon of this nature, you need to be a responsible owner. Part of being a responsible owner is making sure that your rights and your perception of your rights do not create a loophole that caused people to lose their lives. Yeah, and I'm of, yes. belief, I'm of the belief that, like I have, like I said, I have an AR-15. And if they wanted me to, and if the government wanted me to sign a piece of paper saying that because I now own this, um, my social media accounts, my personal, you know, my methods of correspondence and thing are now subject to scrutiny as the price of owning this and that, you know, if I threaten somebody or I make comments of that nature, it's going to be taken a lot more serious than anybody else. I would sign that paper, and I would consider okay. that a fair trade. That is that, that is interesting. I did not expect uh, to hear that. To be completely honest, um, that's okay. Because, I have full surprises. Yes, you are absolutely. Uh, ne- never stop changing, or just keep changing. Either way, like um, because that is, to be honest, from my perspective, one of the very one of the frustrating things that continues to happen in the wake of these tragedies is that there seems to be a certain segment that views any talk of regulation, any talk of, say, heightened um, heightened measures uh, with regards to psychological evaluation or with regards to proficiency or with regards to increased background checks or closing the gun hole loophole. Any measure like that is automatically seen as, oh, this is the first step. This is the first step. They're coming to take away our guns. The thing is... It, you, you, you may not know this, and many people on the right, if you're listening, uh, hi, <laughs> um, <laughs> if, if many people on the right are listening, that very, very few people that I know on the left, and I, I, I don't know of any people with any significant amount of clout who are saying this, I, I, I don't know of anybody who's seriously advocating that we come and we confiscate all of your firearms. I don't know of anybody who actually thinks that that is feasible on a purely logistical level, let alone a right or wrong argument. I don't know of anybody who thinks that that actually can be done. And so it boggles my mind constantly to have the knee-jerk reaction of, okay, so we really need to have a conversation about who has access to these weapons and what the criteria is. No, you're coming to take our guns. We're not going to compromise. That is infuriating to me on as as just as just a human being uh let alone somebody on the left but it, it, does that frustrate you as well i will say that there are parts that do frustrate me one thing that i have been very proud about quote unquote my side i'm sorry i'm gonna i'm gonna use that term real real quick here I, I, I'll, I'll just <laughs> auto insert the air quotes from now on yeah but one of the things i've been rather proud about as i got more and more involved in the civilian side of this since I got out of the military mm-hmm. is the consistent pressure for psychological screening when these happens. Like you, like you want to, 
You want to talk about consistency? They've got some. We've got some really good consistency about what we expect from people and okay. what we think we would fix the problem. Okay. And so, like advanced, like extra psychological screening. Like there, there is, there are groups that are diehard. Any sort of regulation, excuse me, yep. any sort of regulation is an infringement. Those are by far the minority. But here's the thing is that from my experience, at least lately, that has been the NRA to a T. And the, the NRA, for those of you outside the United States, is the National Rifle Association. It's a lobbying group uh, ostensibly for the um, – uh, to uh, protect the rights of firearms owners. Um, I would make an argument, though, that the NRA, uh, at least for as long as I can remember, has not necessarily been in the business of – caring about gun owners' rights, but the uh, profits of gun manufacturers. Because it seems that they are all, they're out there immediately saying, and sometimes authoring bills for people. Uh, or, or, or It almost seems like they're handing people the, the talking points that they want expressed because any attempt to, to at least have a, open up for debate about the availability of these weapons is automatically met with, the utmost hostility. I've seen some of the commercials that have been put out at, you know, recently that are just scary from people like the NRA. I don't know if their organization is actually helping anything because from from what it seems to me is that they're out there just to make sure that gun companies have unfettered access to a market of very little regulation. And and I'm sorry, but you know, going back to the political divide of things, it, it seems very much that the any the idea of any regulation is automatically tyranny. Uh, you know, that, that that there's something and I'm sorry to say this once again, insert air quotes, your side that infuriates me a little bit is this idea that regulation is bad, is anathema to freedom. And, and I don't see how that follows. Well, I can't really speak to that. I honestly don't pay much attention to what the NRA does. The, the Are you an NRA member? I mean, if, if you I am an, M I am an MRA member, okay. so I do pay attention to. I, I saying I don't pay attention is an incorrect statement. I shouldn't okay. say it. I do pay attention. However, the organization and I have many, many varied and vast differences in opinions. Okay. And I know quite a few other NRA members who share that opinion, and I know a lot of non. I know a lot of gun owners who are not member of the NRA who think that the NRA is doing amazing things, but they just don't want to join for join for whatever reasons. And I see people who think that the NRA is a form of regulation. Yeah. So yeah. you got you got them coming and going. Interesting, interesting, because I, with regards to what what happened recently in Florida is that a bill was brought up, I think, for debate as to uh, to, to regulate the availability of uh, AR-15s, and it was unanimously voted down, whereas uh, they, adopted a legisla they, they adopted a resolution against uh, pornography as being dangerous to society. This struck me as something of just the most blatant hypocrisy that I could think of. I, I, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but if we can't even at least have a conversation about guns that have just recently ended the lives of 17 innocent high schoolers, but for some reason porn is public enemy number one, uh, th this seems to me like a misappropriation of priorities. I agree. Please don't take my porn from me. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't take anybody's okay. porn from anybody. People. Gosh, no. You want a you want a revolution? That's how it starts. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, you say you want a revolution. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, all, all jokes aside. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can't. I don't even want to comment on some of the things that I see cross the floor. Yeah. These days, it's it's a bunch of ludicrousy. It's okay. it feels like a madhouse sometimes. Absolutely. Even when I pay the slightest amount of attention to it. Absolutely. Now, um, shifting gears again slightly, because they, I, I, I just want to at least try and stick to my notes somewhat, because I'm without a structure or a rudder otherwise. Um, the president, uh, Donald Trump, has recently uh, endorsed the idea of arming teachers in schools to ostensibly prevent or mitigate this kind of violence from happening again. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I can see its merit. Okay. I can see where – I can definitely see where people who are of the good guy with a gun beats a bad guy with a gun every time mentality come that. And from that point, you want to just see good guys, any good guy, doesn't matter who it is, arm the ticket you know, takers, uh, give them a gun, and they will do something. And the thing people forget is that it takes – a whole lot more than possession of a firearm to be able to stand up in an active shooter situation. Yeah. And we don't pay teachers enough as it is. Like, Thank you. I'm sorry. If I can tangent for just a second, it is Please. downright criminal what they are paid and expected to do, not to mention the amount of, resp of social responsibility that we put on them, yeah. not to mention the amount of fucking hours they are expected to work. And it's the lack ridiculous. of job security, for one. I mean... God, no, it's... It's yeah. not, like I said, it's, it's criminal. So, but anyways, so, so to me, then that that very notion just strikes to me as thoroughly unhelpful because if if we are if we are now at the point where we're saying, okay, teacher, with all of these, you know, uh, hamstringed you know, uh, decisions that we've made, making it very hard for you to do your job as it is. Now we're going to put a gun in your hand and say, not only not only are you now responsible because we're giving you the weapon here, not only are we placing tacit or implicit responsibility uh, in your hands for the lives of these students, we're giving you the possible you know, psychological burden one day of taking a human life. And the thing is that just when I, w w at least in my experience, when I've been working, and it's probably less so for you because you have not only served in the military, but you've served in an active combat zone. Um, whenever I've been carrying my weapon, I'm at a certain level of nervousness, and I'm at a certain level of. I know that if if this weapon comes out of its holster and ends up being used for the purpose which it was intended, that will be the worst day of my life. Bar none, if I end up having to take a human life in the line of duty, even even if it's a completely 100% cut and dry, justified situation, that will be the worst day of my life. And putting that psychological burden on onto teachers, or the, even suggesting such a thing, on top of everything they already have to deal with, strikes me as asinine, at the very least. So uh, please excuse me to uh, if I if I had to soapbox there for a second. <laughs> no, it's totally yeah. fine. Um, and yeah, and I uh, I have a similar mindset when I carry. I I have some minor distinctions. Um, I don't know if it was my training, my upbringing, or whatever. I'm not quite sure where this mindset of mine has come from. But 
I carry in order to preserve life. And yeah. any damage that I do to myself psychologically is worth the preservation of life around me. And if I can, if I can leave yeah. the gun in the holster and solve the problem, best that's the best solution. Absolutely. If the gun comes out and I don't shoot, second best solution. If the gun comes out and I have to take a life, which if it's if it's being firing, I'm if it's if it's shooting, I'm aiming center mass. Yeah. They're probably not going to survive. As as damaging as that is to me, as damaging as that is to society, on a strictly numerical base, that is one versus however many people they were going to harm. And Absolutely, I can I can balance that with myself. And that is that that is the exact thing that allowed me to do that job is knowing that, that that's exactly what I was there to do, and that whatever discomfort I may feel is just price of doing business. So um, hey, listen, um, we have um, we've been talking for a little bit, and uh, I think that we've had a pretty uh, a pretty great conversation. I'd love to have more. Uh, hell, hell, we may even make this a series, uh, depending on how the conversation in this country goes with regards to firearms, uh, mass shootings, uh, violent crime. Uh, I know that there's a lot of stuff that I wanted to get into that I don't know if we're necessarily going to get into. But um, the last thing that I kind of want to wrap up this uh, discussion with is um, I came up with a very short list of, of and in broad strokes, uh, some possible solutions of concrete actions that we as a country, could take in response to this most latest tragedy, um, and I, ha I hate to say it, I, I don't think it's going to be the last, and um, it, it, it kills me a little bit inside to say that. But um, some possible solutions, and, and we can have a couple of quick remarks as we kind of go through these things, but first off, at the top of my list was to close the gun show loophole. Um, at the, at, currently at gun shows, and I don't know if this varies from state to state. I, I do not believe it does, but I, I could be wrong. But um, at, at most gun shows, at many gun shows, um, uh, it's possible to buy a firearm without any background check whatsoever. And that is, to me, that's that's a gross overstep. That's, that's a gross understep, honestly, because... Uh, it's it's oversight. It's a gross lack of oversight. That's what I was trying to get to. Sorry, um, words. But um, it, it it seems to me that if you're going to be buying a, a a lethal weapon, and that's that's make no mistake about it, that's what a firearm is is a lethal weapon. I, should there I, should there not at least be some basic background checking? I absolutely agree. Um, I don't know how other places work, but here in Minnesota. If you want to buy at a gun show or from a private dealer, you have to provide proof of uh, – you have to provide your permit to carry or your permit to purchase that's been issued to you by the police, okay. which you have to go through a background check to get. And then there are forms that you, that you should be filling out. Okay. I have them, and most of the time at gun shows, if okay. you want to buy them, I, I personally so, bought my – So Minnesota sounds like they're being at least a, 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 at a baseline level of responsibility. Yeah. Um, Could it be better? Yes. Absolutely. Uh, so and then I, I'm stronger background checks. Now, what stronger means and what criteria we're talking about is absolutely I'm willing to have that conversation with anybody. Um, you know, we uh, at least uh, uh, we should require training. I think that the idea that somebody can buy a gun and not necessarily have to, not as a matter of default, have to go through some level of training strikes me as irresponsible because. Even when we're training people to drive cars, which are not meant as weapons, that even when we're we're teaching people to drive a car, uh, we have to have a certain level of training before this we issue a license. I I think that should be universal across the board. Personally, 
Agreed um, 100%. Uh, so that would go in with evaluation and licensure. Um, what One question I meant to ask you is if you had to say every year, like, you know, uh, annually, if you had to undergo, a, say, a 30 to 45-minute meeting with a psychologist and – be evaluated at least you know i don't know if there had to be some kind of truncated system for doing that in a timely manner or whatever but um uh, if you had to undergo a basic psychological evaluation uh, at the hands of a trained professional would you be comfortable with that in order to continue possession of your firearms i absolutely would okay okay um so uh another thing uh that occurred to me is uh, perhaps a uh uh, a, a healthcare system that is equipped and able and willing to treat mental illness. <laughs> this uh, um, many people on uh, uh, on the far more conservative side of the debate seem to be solely focused on mental illness, uh, completely uh, forgetting the fact that Ronald Reagan. Uh, we can uh, thank him for closing many of the state-run mental hospitals that were uh, treating people with mental illness that uh, might uh, otherwise have not. Uh, gone on to harm other human beings. I think that uh, if we had perhaps, say, a, dare I say, universal healthcare system that uh, had the uh, safety net there that could uh, catch this kind of thing before, say, it snowballed into a problem such as a um, an Adam Lanza or a uh, Elliot Roger, then uh, that might do something to at least alleviate the problem from that aspect. Um uh, bump stocks is one thing that uh, is a, a large part of the conversation right now as well. I don't see any reason necessarily why we need bump stocks. I just you, you, even the, even the people who are using the AR-15 in a sporting role, in a competition role, in a hunting role, I don't know why they need bump stocks. Which, by the way, a bump stock is a uh, is a device that is an, uh, a modification onto the onto the weapon which uh, uh allows the weapon to rock back and forth in such a way that if you hold down the trigger uh a uh the the weapon will continue to fire which would effectively make a semi-automatic weapon such as your standard AR15 civilian model into a effectively automatic weapon um i i just don't know why those are a requirement why we need them i i just i don't um, I would like to insert real yeah. quick that um, what it's, what it is it is still one trigger pull, pull per round. All that's happening is that instead of uh, pulling the trigger to the rear, you're you're when you use a bump stock, you push the rifle forward, so the your trigger finger remains in the same place, but the rifle moves forward, causing the trigger yes to yes, but uh, fire. So it, it is technically still one, and I agree with you in that it is a loophole. It has a it has a it has a ridiculous purpose yes. because it's not even – like when you're using it, you can't even be reasonably accurate to the same point that you can on a semi-automatic. So I personally will never have one on my rifle. Even in a combat setting, even in a combat zone, uh, and granted I have not served in a combat zone, so you know, take that with a grain of salt. But I know that even amongst a professional military force, you don't want necessarily everybody to have – just the ability to go full auto whenever they want to, uh, if only for the preservation of ammunition. Um, but anyway, it, it, it also becomes ten, uh, much harder to uh, hit what you're aiming at if you are continually firing your weapon in such a way that it's automatic. That's why even uh, saws, uh, squad automatic weapons, uh, machine guns are fired in bursts 
so that you you never see this Rambo kind of thing. It's just not a good idea ever, and it has the potential, I think, for in the wrong hands to be catastrophically harmful, even even more so than than currently. Um, but uh, then uh, I had the uh, uh, the idea of biometric ID locks. Now this is something uh, of a technology issue, something uh, that is a, a little bit more. Um, I mean, we're living in the future, yes, but we may not quite be there on the technological level yet. But the idea that um, there can be a lock on your weapon that is uh, that is accessed by a biometric security feature, such as a fingerprint or uh, or a, a, some kind of a finger scan, uh, something that's uh, unique to the to the uh, owner's um, body, that so that it effectively makes one person can only operate that weapon, or, or that weapon can only be operated by one person. Um, personally, if we can perfect the technology for this, this could solve so many of the problems currently. Um, I, I know that uh, the uh, Sandy Hook shooter, uh, Adam Lanza, uh, he uh, acquired his weapons from a relative, um, and uh, so those were not his weapons, but uh, he obtained them all the same, uh, and was able to use them to carry out uh, his uh, massacre. Now, um, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Just out of curiosity, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know what the current state of the technology is on this, or what uh, people in the uh, gun community are uh, kind of thinking about this. You know, that really hasn't come up as discussion points. I'll be sure to bring it up next time I'm hanging around my group. Yeah. I will say though that. There are times when my iPhone doesn't want to accept my fingerprint as, you know, yep. proof that it's me. And I would <laughs> hate to trust a device like that, especially at the level that it is right now, to be able to access my firearm yeah. in a defensive situation. Absolutely. Yeah. And much more work needs to be done in the technological and uh, research and development of that kind of system in order – for anybody to have confidence in it. So I completely understand the reservation there. Um, I, I, we don't necessarily even need to ban the AR-15. I think that we can reach a... I, I truly do believe that we can reach a happy medium uh, between people who want to continue to be armed and uh, those of us who want to uh, stay safe from people who get those weapons and should not be the hands operating them. So um, anyway, uh, Luke, uh, Marshall, thank you so much for your time, man. I really do uh, appreciate uh, the uh, the time that you took and your candor. Hey, anytime, David. Uh, you are by far one of my favorite people to to talk about this when we stop butting heads and actually have these conversations. <laughs> because I can always trust you. I can always trust you to, to at the bare minimum hear what I have to say and respond with intelligence. Thank you very much, and likewise, absolutely. Um, so uh, uh, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Uh, just a couple of quick things that are coming up that I'm involved in that you might want to uh, keep a close eye on. I am a, uh, uh, I, I am in a play right now. Uh, I am uh, making my return to Seattle Main Stage Theater in Kayfabe, Scenes from a Squared Ring. Uh, it's presented by Ghostlight Theatricals, uh, written by Andrew Shanks, and directed by Marcus Williams and Danny Hobbs. 
the Greek pantheon and professional wrestling collide in kayfabe, a no-holds-barred family dramedy. After a tragic in-ring accident leaves their father dead, the estranged children of the wrestler Antaeus meet to hash out his legacy. But as memories of their father are shared, they soon realize that the line between good and bad is far more complicated from what it seems. Based loosely on the labors of Hercules, kayfabe blurs the lines between what is real and what is scripted between honoring legacy and making your own. Uh, that opens March 9th and uh, goes till March 24th. Uh, it is going to be presented at the Ballard Underground on Market Street in the Ballard neighborhood of Seattle. Of course, I just said that. Uh, you can find tickets at uh, ghostlight.strangertickets.com. Um, let me make sure I have that right. Yes, that is in fact correct. Ghostlight.strangertickets.com. Um, also, coming up on March 31st, uh, Lucha Libre Volcanica is going to be having their March match. Uh, uh, you can see some high-flying luchadors and luchadoras. Uh, fun for the whole family. It's a family-friendly show, but uh, uh, hardcore wrestling fans will absolutely find uh, something to enjoy here. Um, it will be happening at Evolve Fitness. That's E-V-O-L-V. Uh, fitness in uh, the South Lake Union area of Seattle. So please keep a lookout and check those out. I have been training with Lucha Libre Volcanica for the past month or so, and you can look for more content about that on our blog and in future episodes. So stay tuned. Uh, Luke, thank you so much again for your time, man, and uh, uh, seriously, can't thank you enough. Uh, this has been a very good conversation, I have to say. Absolutely. I think it went very, very well. Always awesome. good talking to you. All right. Likewise. Likewise, man. And uh, listeners at home, uh, please keep fighting the good fight. Take care. Hey, everybody. David here. So if you're like me, you're a martial artist, a performer, competitor, all of the above, or you're just looking for a good backpack, or you want to save the ecosystem of this fragile world of ours. If any of these sound like you, you owe it to yourself to check out Datusara. Datsusara is not an official sponsor of this podcast. I just really believe in what they're doing. Uh, check out dsgear.com and see exactly what it is I'm talking about. Everything from hemp combat jujitsu gi to hoodies to weapons bags to the best goddamn backpack ever, all made out of high-quality hemp. dsgear.com is where you want to go for that. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening. Now go forth and conquer.